0: Hey everyone, it's Kevin. This is Edgework. I don't really have a plan for this episode. I just wanted to check in and go over some ideas. I've been uh, not sleeping all that well and what's interesting is uh, I've been hearing that from a large portion of the department that I work in. Uh, I keep overhearing people talking about not sleeping well and I think it's Maybe just a sign of the pressure of the department or, or the disorganization. There just seems to be a lot of strain on uh, on people, um, which is unfortunate. But anyway, we had a uh, a group outing tonight. Uh, most of us or, or a lot of us got together and had some drinks. So, you know, that helps with uh, spirit, morale, etc., um, but I wanted to talk about something. So I, I listened to Tangentially Speaking, which is a podcast from Christopher Ryan, PhD, a gentleman I met not long ago in Portland. We have a mutual friend, Ciara Lynch, who you can hear on an episode of Tangentially Speaking and also on an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience and a number of other places. Anyway, we have a mutual friend in Portland, Ciara we all got up together, I, I, I met Chris, uh, he's a great guy, very fun to hang out with, we had some interesting conversations. Um, anyway, I've been listening to his podcast for a while, and I listened to him on Duncan Trussell's podcast, and on Joe Rogan's podcast, and the podcast that Duncan Trussell, Joe Rogan, and, and, uh, and Chris Ryan have together, which they've dubbed the Shrimp Parade. I recommend you check those out, some of the best podcasting out there, I think. Uh, one of the things that, that Chris has been doing lately, or Dr. Ryan, I'm not sure that I'm on a first name basis with him just yet, but anyway, he, uh, he's he been, I, I say lately, that's not quite accurate, I've been listening to it lately, but for a while he's been, he has these episodes where he talks about his uh, autobiography, he, he tells stories of his life uh, from childhood onward, and um, it's interesting, he's a good storyteller. And I don't know how much thought he puts into them ahead of time. I get the impression that he does think about them or plan them out. I don't think he would. I don't think he writes them necessarily. Um, and I could be wrong. Maybe he doesn't. He doesn't plan them at all. Perhaps. But he has a good flow. He he's he knows how to tell a story. I am not uh, particularly good at at storytelling. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I have some interesting stories. I think, or some stories that some people might find interesting. Um, So I was thinking maybe I would talk a little about myself. Uh, I I don't know. I kind of want to just give like a quick summary of of some of the major points and then then start at the beginning and kind of work through. Or maybe I should save some surprises and just start at the beginning. I don't know. I guess I could do that. So I was about to start speaking and I realized that it's kind of awkward that talking about yourself is a little, you know, there's a tendency to not want to say particularly good things about oneself, um, uh, could be taken as, narcissism or, or some, some form of distasteful self-image, but frankly, I mean, sometimes you have to say nice things about yourself, it's just relevant to the story, I was a smart kid, I was a very smart kid, um, I, I stood out from a young age. I also have a remarkable memory, I, I, I remember a lot. My first conscious memory um, was the small world ride at Disney World, and I, according to my parents I was about one year old, um, it's hard to say, I mean we don't, we don't have any proof of that, they're just from memory, they think that was 85, I was born in 84. Um, but I remember the look and the feelings. I don't remember the people. Uh, I remember I was in a boat. Uh, the boat was on tracks, but I don't think I remember the the tracks. I don't think I would have recognized the uniform movement and known that it was a, a result of the tracks. But I was uh, in a boat... indoors, in a very dark, very big room, and I remember the light was over my uh, right hand shoulder, over my right shoulder, and elevated, that's where, it's where you come in, you go down these stairs and get in the boat, and there's a lot of daylight, um, over my upper right shoulder, and I remember being in the boat and just thinking, like, I I am terrified, like, I, I was just, just, just really scared. And looking at the light and just wondering, like, what are, like, what are we doing here? What, what is this? You know, such a strange situation to find oneself in at the age of one. Uh, not a lot of capacity for reasoning or abstract thought, or rational thought. I don't think abstract is the right word. But anyway, I remember two things about, about it in addition to the light over the right shoulder. I remember looking at the water, and the water was black. Like, it was so dark that I couldn't see how deep it was, and that struck me as, as uh, a point of concern. Um, anything could be in there, you know? I don't think I, I had any particular fears like sharks or whales or whatever. Uh, I, I just remember thinking that without knowing how deep it is or being able to see into it, it strikes me that this is a perilous situation to find oneself in. In addition to that, I couldn't see the ceiling. It was so high and so so dark there's no lighting uh, at the beginning of the ride. Uh, I couldn't see how tall it was, and that scared me too in in a very similar way. So looking up and looking down in both directions, it was just just an abyss, just just total blackness. And I was uh terrified. Interestingly, I don't remember the rest of the ride, which I think most people would would find the, the more noteworthy part, it's a, I, I guess it's a lot of colorful lights and robotic children singing. I actually went back in my 20s um, and went went on the ride, and, and uh, it was exactly how I remembered it, interestingly. The arrangement of the light over my right shoulder, the tall dark ceiling, the black water, uh, is very much the same. Um... What's curious about that is now that I'm remembering it, I don't actually remember it the second time. I just remember that it was the same as I remembered. That's strange. I'd like to go back again and, and, and see what it's like. Uh, anyway, after that, my, my earliest memory... I have a memory that I, I actually i am not going to discuss. It's an unpleasant memory. Uh, it had a lot to do, I think, with shaping who I am now. And uh, it's not the sort of thing that I'm ready to talk about with all you strangers out there. Um, but I don't remember when it happened. I don't know how old I was. It's a very vivid memory. Uh, it was a difficult experience during which I dissociated. Uh, I had something like an out-of-body experience, you could say. Not in the mystical sense, but more in the sense that I... It's more like an out-of-mind experience. I, I was not able to cope with the situation I was in. And so I left myself. I think that's a good way to put it. Anyway, it's entirely likely that this caused something like... PTSD, or possibly something sort of like a condition, a condition called uh, complex PTSD. Um, but it's essentially the idea is that at a young enough age, certain experiences, if they happen, they they don't just cause the stress responses, anxiety, panic, depression, etc. That we that we know is associated with PTSD. But uh, in addition, they can also play a part in forming your personality because your personality isn't formed yet and if you grow up and develop in the context of having been traumatized by something then uh, you you, you're not just who you are plus trauma you are to a large extent trauma and uh, that's Something I might go into more later, but not anytime soon. When I was seven, uh, my family moved to Massachusetts, a town called Belmont, which was near Cambridge. My dad was accepted to into a uh, program, uh, an MPA program, Master of Public Administration at Harvard at uh, the Kennedy School of Government. It was a one-year professional uh, master's program. I remember that very vividly. Uh, I loved it. It was also a difficult time. Uh, I wasn't yet depressed. I didn't have any any mental health issues that I'm aware of. But uh, I, I think it was the first time I experienced bully, bullying. Uh, I was the new kid in town. I was from Florida. And I I got picked on. There was a kid named Philip, who routinely assaulted me. Uh, kicked me in the in the balls. It was the first time I had been hit in the balls. Quite unpleasant. Um, whipped me in the face with a shoelace. That wasn't cool. There was another time. I I guess this was a bullying incident. I don't I don't remember it very well. But I was standing on the pavement outside at recess and was knocked down by, I don't know how many, I feel like it was a crowd that knocked me down and uh, was bleeding from my head. I don't think it was all that bad though, I I, I went to the nurse and I I think, I I don't think I went to the hospital or anything like that, so... Anyway, that was unpleasant, but kids are pretty resilient or I mean I was I was resilient. Like I remember not being all that bothered by it. I mean, in the moment it was un- it was unpleasant and something I was not equipped to to process in any meaningful way being of course 7 years old. Uh but Nonetheless, it's it's impactful the first time you're repeatedly assaulted by a stranger for no reason. That, that tends to stick with a person uh, other than that, it was a wonderful time um, it, was, it was It was a lot of fun. it was my first time seeing snow. There was a lot of snow uh, had, I had a very vivid imagination at the time. My brother and i were were close he was i guess he was nine, and I was seven uh my My sister was uh, newly born, I guess. I don't know if she was born in Boston or, or in Florida, where I'm from. Before we moved, um, my youngest brother and my youngest sister had not been born yet. Uh, we went to bookstores a lot. There was one, I think it was called Haslam's, perhaps. Don't really remember. There was a playground at the end of our street that was made of wood. It was very cool. Um, the school that I went to I was in first grade at the time we had a rainforest theme Uh, uh, the hallways were made up like a rainforest it was very atmospheric and interesting I remember the song we had a a school song about about a rainforest I remember the whole melody and everything the lyrics were if a tree falls in the forest do we hear it, do we care? that was the... uh, The chorus a little on the nose but what are you gonna do it's first grade so Uh, I was afraid of the cafeteria I have I have a history of being afraid of cafeterias at school not sure why probably the chaotic nature of it and the noise and the lack of uh, oversight relative lack of oversight anyway, uh, my dad read Lord of the Rings to us, um, that was fun, although I started to get restless, I remember playing a lot, I had a box of markers and pens and pencils and things, and I used to play with that while he was reading, And uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't quite tuned in, I wasn't quite focused, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a thing at the time, I had a lot of toys, they were fun, I'm, I feel like I'm not doing a very good job of making this interesting to you folks out there. We rented a Sega Genesis once, and we played a game called Beastmaster. We played uh, Rainbow, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, Rambo as well. Rambo and Beastmaster, those were fun games. Anyway, uh, my dad uh, finished his master's. We moved back to Florida. Uh, I continued being a smart kid. I don't think I got picked on uh, again until middle school. Uh, but I had to repeat first grade. I'm not entirely entirely sure why that was, but I think I was not able to write my name, and that was like some kind of a a benchmark or something. I don't know. What's odd about it is I was a bright student, unusually bright, but apparently not bright enough to pass first grade, which is perplexing. I later skipped fifth grade um, entirely. I, I don't really know. I don't know what's going on, what was going on. Maybe it was bad instruction. It could have also been a curriculum issue having taken first grade in, in Massachusetts and then moved back to Florida, maybe the, something didn't quite transfer, or, I don't know. Uh, so, school, school, school. Uh, I remember preschool, actually, too. I guess I skipped that. We don't really need to get too much into preschool. The only thing that... There's a couple of things that are somewhat interesting. I do remember one time seeing a wall of rain move down the street. I was sitting on the on the playground in preschool, and it had just started raining about a block or two away, and I could see it coming, and that was really, really fascinating to me. It was entrancing. It was surreal. I uh, got the genders of Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy mixed up, and I still remember my logic. I thought that Andy was the girl and Ann was the boy, because a lot of names that end in Y are girl names, or, or I, or I-E, you know, Brandy, Lucy, Annie, Allie, there's there's all these names that are, for some reason, I don't, I don't know why, but we, culturally, we, we associate that ending sound with femininity, and I was at least subconsciously aware of that, I don't know that I would have been, I mean, I certainly couldn't have elucidated my point as well as I just did as a preschooler, but I was certain that they had gotten it wrong, not me, and Andy was a girl, and was the boy, clearly, uh, anyway, that's preschool, oh, oh, I had my first crush in preschool, as well, I think her name was Jessica, her nickname was Bubbles, for some reason, don't know why, uh, she was, like, olive skin and dark hair and dark eyes, which, interestingly, was, has been my, my type, more or less, I mean, I, I don't really have a type, I've, I've been attracted to all, all varieties of women, but usually, uh, at at a minimum, dark hair and dark eyes, though, not always, um, anyway, it was that, and then school, I, I had a crush on another girl, Laura, also olive skin, dark hair, dark eyes. That crush lasted several years. Uh, it was pretty intense. Uh, I wrote my first poem for her. I think I was eight or nine. Um, uh, yeah, so that that was that. Around uh, age 11, the summer I turned 11, I got... I had my first issues with with mental health. I got severely... uh, I don't know the word. I feel like mentally ill isn't necessarily the most accurate phrasing, but I got very, very depressed, um, suicidal within a year or two. Um, I had delusions. I thought I was possessed by a crow god um, of Native American lore. A little after that, I thought I was possessed by the spirit of Kurt Cobain when he died. Um, I started failing classes. I started getting in fights constantly at school. I had fits. I would start. I had started punching holes in walls and and destroying things and thinking about death constantly. It was a weird time, and and I'm not exactly sure what happened I don't know if this was some genetic thing. Um, I have some theories that maybe it was a head injury that i that I suffered when I was ten. A ladder hit me in the head, fell out of a tree, hit me in the head but that i I think my impression is that that wasn't very serious of an injury. I do still have a scar on the right side of my head, and interestingly, I am suspected of having temporal lobe epilepsy and I have a number of neurological deficits on the left side of my body, as well as a strange interlimb coupling reflex um, between my left leg and left ring finger, which could be caused by uh, a malfunction in a region called the sensory motor cortex, which is in the right temporal lobe, precisely where the ladder hit me. So if you put all this together, uh, it sounds like traumatic brain injury, which healed as I grew, but not completely. Um, and left over some other conditions uh, epilepsy as I mentioned but also something called nonverbal learning disorder or disability which is a condition that I have that is considered a right hemisphere disorder it's sort of the opposite of dyslexia Uh, it leads to abnormally high verbal intelligence and abnormally good memory and it also means certain deficits for example it, it varies, but in my case, a, a lack of a sense of direction and sometimes uh, difficulty processing novel situations, new, new environments, or ascertaining context, uh, things, things of that nature. Essentially things that can't be described through language, things that have to be felt intuitively or through some other mechanism of, of cognition that's not verbal in nature right? and has nothing to do with reasoning or logic. Um, some of those things I don't process very well. And anyway, this all could be related, uh, and it could be caused by a, an injury to the right hemisphere of my brain. I don't know. Anyway, did a lot of drugs as a teenager. Um, got expelled when I was 15 and arrested twice, well, charged twice, once for fighting, once for GHB, gamma hydroxybutrid, uh, went to jail for like a day or two, went to another jail, went to juvenile detention, I think all in all it was only a few days I was in there, um, two jails and juvenile detention, my dad was running for sheriff at the time. That did not uh, help. I don't think help his campaign. And interestingly, he was also the superintendent of the juvenile justice system in the county where I was arrested. So I was shipped to the next county over. Uh, I'm assuming because that would have been a conflict of interest. I don't really know if if that was why I was I was shipped over. But um, expelled. So I just went and got my GED, I just, I just tested it out. When I took the test, again, not to, my intelligence, I feel like, is isn't an, is an important aspect of, of, of who I am, particularly as a kid. So it, it's uncomfortable for me to talk about because, again, it sounds like I'm bragging or something, but we're talking about me as a kid. So if you can just suspend your judgment and, and pretend we're talking about somebody else, this was this was a strange situation that this kid was in, this kid that is me um all these problems and 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 dysfunction despite what seems to be unusual abilities so i took the test and they scored it and they they said i failed the test and i didn't believe them so um they retested or they 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 reevaluated the test results i gave them and it, it turns out they had they had plugged in the wrong answers, and not only did I pass, but I maxed out every category. I scored the maximum possible score. So I started college um, full time when I was fifteen, but I was poor, so I also started working. Um, I'm sorry, I started working full time. Started college part time. So when I was fifteen, I was working full time, uh, telemarketing for for charities. Um and going to college, and within a year or two, I had started using drugs a lot more, and eventually started using needles, uh, mostly for OxyContin, which if you're not familiar, is essentially heroin. I actually recently read an article called OxyContin is Heroin, and it made a pretty good case, I think. The, the two molecules are are very similar i never I've never done heroin in its pure form, but when I speak or spoke with uh, users of of heroin they they tended to prefer Oxycontin. Um They said it was a better high, it was cleaner. It was also regulated. I mean it's a federally regulated drug, so they knew that the quality control was there. They knew exactly what they were getting. The dosage was printed on it, so they, they knew they weren't getting scammed it made it much safer as well. Anyway, uh I was into a girl that was that was shooting up and tried it and uh did that every day for 6 months. Um eventually had, I guess you could say a girlfriend, I don't know. There was a girl I was seeing. Uh, I was 17, she was 27, she was a a stripper, and also a junkie, and also had a number of uh, mental disorders, including uh, multiple personality disorder, I think it's now uh, dissociative identity disorder, it's called, she had uh, several distinct personalities with names and that was interesting. Um, she took my virginity when I was seventeen, and we were junkies together for a while. Then I accidentally overdosed and died, and was resuscitated by paramedics. I remember that day pretty clearly. Um, we were in my car. We got we got the pills and went to a parking lot in front of a grocery store out by the road where there was no one around. And and, uh, we boiled down the pill and and drew it up into the syringe. Or I guess, I don't know if we were sharing a needle or if it was two syringes. But anyway, we took our shots and then uh, we got out of the car and lay down on the hood uh, up on the windshield and we were watching the clouds go by, and I remember just just looking at the clouds and feeling pretty good, and then I woke up in an ambulance sometime later. It's not clear uh, how much time passed, five or ten minutes. Um, but I, I had slumped into oblivion on the hood of the car, and, and uh, uh, she was actually trying to stuff me back in the car. She was trying to drag me into the car. I don't know what her plan was, but it was probably to get the fuck out of there Uh, I I doubt she would have taken me to a hospital maybe she would have I don't know but a bystander saw uh, what was happening called 911 an ambulance came and they said that uh, I wasn't breathing and my heart rate was slow enough that they weren't certain that it was beating so it's not clear that I necessarily died. Uh, I may have, or I may have been close. Uh, I was. I was. I, it seems like I was like right on, right on that that edge. Um, they gave me Narcan, which is a uh, sort of a miracle overdose drug. It counteracts opiates. Um, it just reverses them very quickly. So I woke up and I was intubated. They had a tube in my lungs, uh, 'cause because I wasn't breathing. They were they were breathing. I was I was on like a little the little bag thing. They were they were squeezing the bag. Uh, I woke up, and the tube was very uncomfortable, as you can imagine. The tube shoved down your throat into your lungs, not a great feeling. So I reached up and just tapped it with my finger to try to tell them to take it out, because I couldn't say anything. Of course, you can't speak with a tube in your lungs. Um, so I just tapped the tube, like, hey, could, I'm, I'm back. You know, you can, I can breathe for myself, if you could take this out of my face. And instead of taking it out, they restrained me. They tied my hands down by my sides. And uh, I didn't resist, because it was obvious, I, I, you know, I'm not going to fight them. Like, I, I don't think I, I could have fought them both off, that would have gone poorly, so I tried to calm myself, because at that point, I I felt very much like panicking, I still wasn't completely sure what happened, um, I might have figured it out by then, I, I don't really remember my whole train of thought, I was still pretty doped up, uh, I got to the hospital, contained myself, they wheeled me into the room, still contained myself, and, um, And they, they handed me off to a nurse, but nobody, nobody removed the, the tube. And I started to realize that not only are they not going to remove the tube, but they're, they're going to leave me restrained. Um, and that's when I panicked and started, uh, vomiting around the tube. Uh, I managed to turn my head to the side. Um... It was a very strange sensation to vomit while breathing through a tube while restrained. Um. Yeah, so they, they left the tube in still while I was puking, and... At that point, you know, my gag reflex had kicked in and I was just it was just a constant puke gag fest. Uh still tied down. It's pretty uncool. And the nurse was, you know, wiping up the puke as I was puking and and eventually I I thought like I have to communicate somehow, so I started doing like a hand gesture like the writing gesture, you know like in movies like if somebody needs to write something it's like like miming and i didn't know what to write. I didn't cuz i couldn't see what i was writing cuz i was restrained. Um so i couldn't look down and i knew i couldn't form a very clear sentence, so i just wrote can't breathe, which technically was not accurate. I was able to breathe and they pointed that out. They looked at the, <laughs> they looked at my vitals and they're like, "Well, He's breathing so let's not overreact He seems to be fine But eventually they removed the tube Had a very sore throat for a while um, They. Uh, there's more uh, You know details and, and stuff That probably doesn't really matter so much um, but that was that. That was a bad experience. After that, I stopped using needles. Although I did I did one more time. I uh, shot up a Dilaudid. I had been using needles for lots of, of different things. Occasionally cocaine, meth, morphine, Oxycontin, Dilaudid. Um, probably some other stuff. Methadone a couple times. Um... Then I stopped using needles after that, and switched to a physical labor job, uh, landscaping, and worked with some people who were smoking meth all the time, so I started doing that briefly, switched to uppers from downers, it's all smoking meth at work, uh... Not for very long. I mean, maybe like a couple of months or something. I don't, I don't know. Then I realized I had to get out of there. I had to get out of town. This was a this was a small Florida town. This is the kind of stuff you hear about in the news. These these sorts of towns, you know. Um, they're bad for you, or they can be anyway. And my friends had moved away to college in a bigger city, so I couldn't afford that. Um, but I just kind of took the plunge anyway, uh, I had been left behind, or I, I had, I wasn't left behind, that's a little dramatic, but I didn't go because I couldn't afford to. Um, I was among the poorest of my friends, I was certainly the poorest of my friends that, that made the, the journey eventually, um, and I did, I made it for I think a year or so there, and had a good time, overall it was, it was a time of healing for me, uh, I, I mean, I still did a lot of drugs, but it was it was mostly just beer and, uh, well, alcohol and, and, and weed. Um, and I guess a fair amount of ecstasy. And maybe some acid on mushrooms. But, you know, overall, it was much better than, than Oxycontin and meth. Um, and no more needles. Uh... And at this time, I had still been in school. I I, I never finished. I'm 33 now, still haven't finished. I, I think I have like 90 credits or something of an undergrad degree in philosophy, and so that was Tallahassee. Uh, that's where I moved, the bigger city that I mentioned. Um, there's a lot I could talk about there as well. Another time. Um, at this at this point I was 18 when I made that move so I was 19 I think when I came back 19 or 20 uh, went to massage therapy school became a massage therapist I had always had this I, I had always had this uh, sort of a hippie streak in me um, I was into weird stuff mysticism and, and body work and energy work and Tai Chi and um, Reiki and shiatsu and all this other stuff. So it was a it was a very it was an interesting match. It was very therapeutic as well. During my time there, I I received two hour long full body massages per week because we massaged each other all all of us students, uh, and that was a very healing experience. I had continue to have a number of hang-ups about physical contact and emotional contact and mental contact, etc. And that, that was six months, five or six months that were very helpful in that regard. And also gave me a, a, an interesting skill set that I, that I still leverage. Uh, from time to time to help people mostly via trigger point therapy side note uh, I highly recommend everyone buy a book called the trigger point therapy workbook by uh, Davies Is the last name I think D A V I E S. it's essentially a manual for treating your own uh, musculoskeletal dysfunction you'd be amazed how many things you can cure on your own among them carpal tunnel syndrome it's probably my favorite example. I've, I've cured a number of people of, of their carpal tunnel syndrome through a combination of my own uh, techniques and uh, educating them to treat themselves. Anyway, it's a great book. highly recommend it. And frankly, it could have replaced 90% of the curriculum that I had in massage therapy school. Um, easily the most valuable information I ever used was in that book. Uh, anyway, I'm going to wrap there for now, for this episode. I might go back and, and talk more about some of that stuff. Um, I a lot of the things that happen involve other people, and I don't want to betray their privacy, um, both the people in Tallahassee and, and others. Uh, so I'm not sure how much detail I'll go into. But that's it for now um more next time ciao